0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: In London, this is The Economist. You're listening to Tasting Menu, a delectable selection of our favorites from among this week's stories. I'm Lane Green, The Economist's language columnist, and coming up, what does it mean to be Muslim in the West? Does a good astronaut need a sense of humor? And the history of America in a bowl of southern stew? We begin with our cover story. The trade talks between America and China over the last two weeks are about more than soybeans and car parts. The future of China's $14 trillion economy
2: is at stake. Pretty much all sides in America agree that China's steroidal state capitalism makes it a bad actor in the global trading system and poses a threat to security. Many countries in Europe and Asia agree. At the heart of these complaints is the role of China's government, which funnels cheap capital towards state firms, bullies private companies and breaches the rights of foreign ones. As a result, China grossly distorts markets at home and abroad. Until now, the Communist Party has presided over an era of astonishing success. Since 1980, the economy has grown at a 10% compound annual rate as nearly 800 million people have lifted themselves out of poverty. A country that struggled to feed itself is now the world's biggest manufacturer. Its trains and digital payment systems are superior to those of Uncle Sam, and its elite universities are catching up in the sciences. Although inequality and pollution have soared, so have living standards. But beside the international backlash, the China model is starting to offer diminishing returns. Government-owned firms' share of new bank loans has risen from 30% to 70%. The exuberant private sector has been stifled. Regulators meddle in the stock market. Critical analysis is suppressed. And since a botched currency devaluation in 2015, capital flows are tightly policed. Investment is a swollen 44% of GDP. As resources are sucked up by wasteful projects and inefficient state firms, productivity growth has slowed. We argued that President Xi must try to reform the economy. If he can be persuaded, he might find himself surprisingly popular. Corporate bosses and senior officials say that they want American pressure to get through to Mr. Xi in a way they cannot. Under him, China is becoming trapped in a bad cycle of sluggish growth, debt, state control, and hostility abroad. A more economically liberal China would end up richer and make fewer enemies. It is time for Mr. Xi to change course. To find out how Mr. Xi can start to turn the ship
1: of state capitalism around, read the essay in this week's issue of The Economist. And if you're not yet a subscriber, you can go to economist.com slash offer to get your first 12 issues for $12 or £12. 26 million Muslims now live in Europe, not counting Turkey and Russia. Islam may not always be welcome in the West, but it is here to stay. Mona Ahmed's family came from Somaliland, but she grew up in Yorkshire. She told our new global current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, about her experiences of being Muslim in Britain.
0: I miss prayers. I don't pray all the time. I don't always go to the mosque. I don't always wear a headscarf. But none of these things make me a bad person or a bad Muslim. I posted a video on Facebook about how the tabloids vilify Muslims. The first person to comment was one of my childhood friends, and she said, yeah, we need these people out of our country, Muslims in general. And I was like, well, do you have more of a right to be in this country than I do? Me and you grew up together. We went to the same school. We went to each other's birthday parties. But yet again, you feel like you have more of a right in this country than I do. And she replied with, you also have blood on your hands.
1: You can find an in-depth examination of the changing position of Islam in the West in last week's special report, available to subscribers from economist.com. The Economist Asks this week focused on discrimination in the film industry. Our guest was Chiwetel Ejiofor, best known for his Oscar-nominated portrayal of Solomon Northrop in 12 Years a Slave. He's now turned his hand to directing with The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. After a new report found that just 6% of top directors in the last decade were black and just 4% were women, we asked him how much power directors have to change the status quo.
2: I think directors have a lot of power
1: and have a a lot of influence and can very much sort of lead the conversation in several ways. Uh, But I think it's about how films are produced, uh, the nature of the audiences that are uh, being invited to come to the the productions and, and to see the films or the TV shows or the plays and the diversity of those audiences as well. And whether that's something that is actively encouraged or whether it's not particularly encouraged. Those are things that I think theatre has tried to push for a more diverse audience. And, of course, a more diverse audience and people being actively encouraged to come to the theatre then has an effect on what those audiences want to see and who they include in that context. That was Chubatel Edufor on Democratising the Director's Chair in The Economist Asks from Economist Radio. What does it take to become an astronaut? In The Right Stuff, Tom Wolfe's famous book about the early years of the American space program, astronauts needed to be bold, daring, self-conscious hero types. But as new astronauts are expected to survive not just days, but months in each other's company, that formula is changing. Here's Nesheer Contractor, professor of behavioral sciences at Northwestern University, on our Babbage podcast having a clown, a person who plays the role of a clown on the team, is really important in that particular context. Not surprisingly, we find that a person who is an introvert might actually get along better with a person who is an extrovert, while two extroverts might get involved in some kind of an alpha male uh, contest in those situations. We find that people who are conscientious might be very important being someone that the team should rely on in high-performance missions, though sometimes they are seen as hindrances or as nags in these contexts. So there's a whole new set of ingredients that we need to put together to build a manual for the right stuff today. The object of the mission most often in mind as these plans are being laid is Mars. So far, humans have sent only robots to the red planet, but some of them have done remarkably well. This week's obituary
2: mourned the loss of the rover Opportunity. Four hours after landing on January 25, 2004, it opened its eyes. Its makers, back on Earth, looked through them at a landing site as perfect as they could have wished for. By chance, the spot where it had ended up was inside a small crater dug out by a meteorite impact. On the side of that crater, the scientists saw straight away the distinctive strata of sedimentary rock. Nothing of the sort had ever been seen beyond the Earth. If the data
1: on those interesting rocks were all it ever sent back to scientists, the mission would still have been counted a great success. But Oppie, as she was affectionately known, was only just
2: getting started. Opportunity was sent off to inspect the jettisoned heat shield that had protected it as it burned down through the Martian atmosphere, now a glinting monument on the pockmarked plain. It was not the only thing that had fallen from the sky. As it rolled on, opportunity came across a meteorite, its lithology distinctively un-Martian. Later, it took a little video of Phobos, the larger of Mars' small moons, passing as a shadow across the face of the sun. Her mission was supposed to last 90 sols.
1: a sol being the 24 hours and 40 minutes it takes Mars to turn on its
2: axis. She outlived that by a factor of ten. It was heading down Perseverance Valley when, on June 10, 2018, Sol 5111, well over seven Martian years of service, another dust storm cut it off from sun and earth. When, after months, the global storm subsided, the rover's minders, now family, waited for its solar panels to be blown clean. It appears they were not. One day, one of those carefully personality-typed astronauts will find her. Until then, imagine her as she was photographed by the orbiting high-rise camera after first reaching the scalloped rim of Victoria, looking down on its rolling dunes, a tiny speck perched on a promontory peak, a new planet swimming before her eagle eyes, watched in silence from the skies. Oppie was not the
1: only pioneer honored in this week's paper. The fashion house Chanel is regrouping after the death of its creative director of 35 years, Karl Lagerfeld. He had been brought in to make over a brand in trouble.
0: The boxy suits that had been Coco Chanel's signature design appealed mostly to middle-aged women. Mr. Lagerfeld modernized the Chanel look with longer, thinner lines and snazzy details. A workaholic, he hardly ever took time off, designing around 14 collections a year, ranging from couture to high street fashions. To design is to breathe. So if I can't breathe, I'm in trouble, he often said.
1: Without him, the future of Chanel is much less clear-cut.
0: Bernard Arnault, the boss of Moet Hennessy Louis Vuitton, or LVMH, the world's biggest luxury goods group, is said to have coveted Chanel for years. A sale still looks unlikely. According to Dirk Boventer of Atreus, a retail consultant. Alain, the chief executive, announced that Mr. Lagerfeld would be succeeded by Virginie Villard, his closest and most trusted associate for some 30 years. Miss Villard will need to make a mark. Until she does, Chanel without Mr. Lagerfeld is less of a trophy for potential investors.
1: And finally, don't spill any on your little black dress, but the Books and Arts section this week dug into the cultural history of gumbo, a beloved Louisiana stew. The fact that it's a stew usually served with rice is about as
2: much as anyone can agree on. After that, things become contentious. Should roux, a fat and flour mixture, form the foundation of gumbo? Usually, but not always. And what sort of fat? These days, most chefs prefer vegetable oil or butter. In colonial Louisiana, the fat of choice was bear lard. Most believe the dish should never contain fin fish, but it can accommodate almost anything else, chicken, sausage, shellfish, and in harder times rabbit, squirrel, whelk, and smoked raccoon. Its origins are as murky as its ingredients, reflecting the unique history of the area around New Orleans. They are partly African. Ki ngombo is the word for Okra in several West African languages, and gumbo is a close cousin to the Okra soups served across that region, whence most enslaved people in Louisiana came. But it also betrays Native American and European influences. In a new book...
1: Gumbo Life, Ken Wells invites his readers into the kitchens of the bayou.
2: In no other part of America does food play such a central cultural role. Nowhere else between Maine and San Diego can people of all means eat as consistently well. But as anyone lucky enough to be invited to dinner by a Cajun or Creole friend knows, the best food, and in particular the best gumbo, is found in private homes. Gumbo like America, contains multitudes. And that's the last spoonful of this week's tasting menu.
1: But remember, there are second helpings of plenty at Economist.com or from Economist Radio on your podcast app. And while you're with us, please take a few moments to rate us on Apple Podcasts. We love to hear from you. I'm Lane Green, and in London, this is
0: The Economist.